welcome back to Shortcast, the podcast brought to you by Baskin Short Scotland. Got Rachel and Shane here today. Hello. And it's an exciting episode because today we're recording on location. On the Isle of Mull. <laughs> so we've had a quick ferry ride out and we're over here to meet Movis Gore and Rupert Ormond. Um, who I'll introduce shortly, but they're going to be telling us all sorts of things about the years of Baskin Shark research they've done. So hello, Movis and Hi. Rupert. Hello. Thank you so much for having us today. It's great to be here. Um, do you just want to introduce yourselves and tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you do? Generally. Who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm Rupert. Uh, um, I... I um, I keep trying to retire from active research now, but <laughs> finding it very difficult. But uh, yeah, I don't uh, think I'll ever give up. Will I'm you? a marine. <laughs> it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a marine biologist, uh, and I've worked mostly on coral reefs, uh, and in particular on corals and reef fishes, but including sharks, uh, and that's what led to getting involved with basking sharks uh, about twenty years ago. Um, but I'm also a bit of generalist. Uh, I've worked on cetaceans and even mangroves and seabirds occasionally. And um, yeah, I was spent a long time at the University of York and then at a couple of universities in Scotland nice. before washing up on Mull. Yeah. <laughs> and the coral reefs right down to yeah. <laughs> chilly Scotland in the winter. Um, Ovis, what about yourself? Well, I'm a marine biologist also. I started off with zooplankton, <laughs> worked my way up to cetaceans and sharks, with uh, forays off into primates and birds at one point. Um, I got into basking sharks partly because I was concerned about sharks. This was some years ago when no one was really interested in sharks for themselves and you know with the the decimation of their populations mm -hmm. i was keen to try and do something about that that's partly what got me into basking sharks yeah really interesting especially where we are now and they were so heavily hunted in this country uh but shane you've actually met Movis so yeah this before. is the first time we've <laughs> met these guys uh but we've obviously known each other for a while so we we kind of wanted to touch on on that because i guess that that touches on when we started as well because i think well didn't wash up on call but um <laughs> we uh we goes back to our beginnings when i came back from new zealand then started wanting to do stuff with the bastion sharks and we started out heading out to call a lot and i can't really remember how we first bumped into you or whether all right okay <laughs> I'm I, sure I, I got a phone call from shane he says i can see you from my window all right <laughs> start looking out the window and say where the hell is this guy <laughs> Was this on the boat? No, this is a no. South ah, Queensbury. Right. Well, that's right, because your office used to be that's next right. to our house in South Queensbury. Right, it was yes. literally 100 yards away. And yeah, you used to come you around for coffee. I've yeah. gone around the whole country looking to contact Yeah, us. yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Like, I can see you. You might have seen <laughs> yeah, it. Like, you know, <laughs> was on a film about that time, and we'd written one or two things on the basking show. Yeah. Well, I think perhaps I'd researched it a bit and then found out you guys, and then I was like, oh, keen to patch up with you guys. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, we're here. And I'm like, oh, that's just, yeah. I could probably see you from my house then. Yes. So I was just around yeah. for a coffee. And I yeah. think then, uh, and then after that, obviously, we, we met on the water and on and call when you were doing your research out there. And then we kind of started collaborating together and sending you data and 
having students on board and things like that. And, and I think that's and the how funny thing was the way when we both moved, almost <laughs> the same thing yeah, happened exactly. again. I mean, within months. That's right, yeah. Knowing each of us was moving to the West Coast <laughs> to save that commute across the yeah, country. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We, we'd both done it, you know. And then obviously you guys had the connection to Harriet Watt as well. So yes. I was a graduate yeah. there from many years ago and it didn't, well, we didn't do it by design, but it just so happened that you guys were involved with Harriet Watt as well, which tied in yes. quite nicely, yeah. uh, you know, for that previous connection. And Cam and Struan, who are the skippers, sometimes have been there and we've had quite a lot of ex-students from there, funnily enough, but it doesn't really, uh, it's not by design, it just happened really and then that time that was just after I think when the BBC Hebrides series had aired or was yeah. filmed yeah. Uh, remembering back and that was uh, uh, it's not really that well known these days um, uh, but it was such a great series locally because uh, it really highlighted the local wildlife in this area which was kind of a bit of a hidden secret and I think it was perhaps one of the first times there was a really good segment on Baskin Sharks, I think, from what yes. I can remember. Yes. Um, and I seem to remember it being really well done. Um, yeah, we spent uh, 10 days or so on call, uh, and Doug Anderson oh, that's was right. the yep. videographer, yep. and he spent a lot of time trying to get good shots, <laughs> uh, which isn't <laughs> As that you easy. Do. You know, and we'd sort of been approached by various film crews before but unless they're willing to spend a week or so yeah that's you know right. to get the weather right and make sure there's the odd shark around yeah. then it, it can often be rather fleeting yeah uh, and then uh, it was also tied in with Innes who was the uh, the old fisherman who lived in the castle out there and he had um, a real interest in the sharks as well and I think I'm not sure if you'd I'm sure you've got a good story about that as well. I think, yes, would you not well, maybe turn up at the harbour one day yeah. asking about sharks or yeah, something? Yeah, well, I asked everybody at that point, you know, because especially when we started, there was no sharks around, partly because you didn't know where to look for them or when and all this. <laughs> so, you know, as, as you know, we started in the Clyde and we moved up to the Inner Hebrides and we were fueling up um, Ferry Turn and mm. there was this fisherman's boat there. So I went over to ask him if he sees any basking sharks. Of course, this is innocent. He says, "See hundreds." Yeah. <laughs> Almost fell off Weird. the dock at that point, yeah. you know. <laughs> and yes, I could just was, imagine him saying it as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was interesting because Howard McCrendle, who was the skipper of one of our research of our research boats mm -hmm. at Millport, uh, and the last person in Britain to, to fish for basking sharks, used to say to us that there had been times he'd seen a hundred, maybe two hundred basking sharks in a day. And at that point, when they were so scarce, we, we just didn't believe it, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> but I think it became it apparent big... yeah, when, and, and given the time we spent going around the Clyde for a couple of years, God, and yeah. coming up to Clontarium, we were just unlucky the first couple yeah. of years, yeah. I think. Uh, we, we didn't believe it. But, I mean, subsequently, you know, ourselves, we could have seen a few hundred in a day, which is unbelievable. So how I I can't actually remember how did you guys end up in Millport to begin with anyway because uh, I'm not really that's before I knew you so yes. I know mm. obviously you'd, you'd worked yeah. with Howard and uh, things like that but. yeah so I was appointed director in 1999 I think Millport ah, right yeah uh, it's closed as a university base yeah. now but previously it was run jointly by University of Glasgow and University of London but most importantly. It provided courses for about 20 other universities mm. all around the UK. Field courses and, uh, yeah, and practical and So it's on the Isle of Cumbria, yeah. which is near Great Aaron. Great Cumbria, yeah. And uh, the, 
the rationale for that is being a small island, being on the west coast, has a much higher diversity right on the shore that students can yeah, look at yeah, and yeah. study compared to a lot of places on the south or east coast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you, you were based there as well? No, I, had, I wanted to get back into marine biology um, and was looking, looking around um, where to do this. And I was at the, the RZSS at the time. Ah, right, yeah. Rupert yeah. came over also to give a- Also known as Edinburgh Zoo. <laughs> Rupert came over to give a talk um, there was a director's sort of meeting where all the directors of organizations around the middle of Scotland would meet and I was giving one on what we were doing and I met him and heard that he was the director at Millport. I come from Jamaica and was doing my, my undergraduate and graduate work there and our external advisor at that point was the director of Millport mm. and he was trying to get me to come and do a PhD in Scotland and I said... This is Jamaica. This is too cold. <laughs> no, we've got palm trees. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, right. So, you know, I realized what the palm trees were after was cabbage palms. So when I saw Rupert, I wanted to ask him about this. And that's when we met and got on really well and decided to do some projects together. And eventually I moved over to Millport. To, yeah, right. To yeah, in fact, it turned out we'd both done work on butterfly fishes, which mm -hmm. are coral fishes. Uh, as part of our PhD, but she'd done it on Caribbean species and I'd done it on Red Sea species. So oh, right. actually we recognized each other's names. So <laughs> one thing led to do. another. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I've met many people that have met over butterfly fishes. But, um, <laughs> very good. And then, so did you then employ Howard then or was he there when no, you he, turned uh, up? He was, I think he joined the staff the same time, time. I did, more simultaneously, yeah, yeah. And then what, how did, I'm sure there's not a story about that, that I don't know, you just, because I'm not sure, at the beginning, did you know he was the last hunter of the sharks? Or yeah, did it yeah, just come out yeah, in conversation yeah, she, and no, then he, it was like... He, he was... He was pretty upfront about it. All right, okay. <laughs> pretty grudging about it at the point. <laughs> yeah, although, you know, we were open-minded and I think it, you know, getting to know him... Uh, which wasn't difficult, <laughs> as it were. No, and, and also, um, you know, it, because what he was talking about was interesting. We could judge it. Um, well, if you're going yeah, to do it, science on basking sharks, we'd yeah, better to yeah. have well, on the water than clear, he wasn't the, the kind of uh, exterminator yeah, exactly. in chief that some people have portrayed him as and mm -hmm. had actually been very careful uh, with... Uh, I, I don't think he took more than... Less than it was 110 over yeah. the, the 11 years or something like that. So um, really small amounts, you know, yeah. not like... It was uh, only like three, the average was three per year and the, the curve went down pretty quickly from the start to when he finished. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think what to my mind is clear is the, 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 the crash in basking shark numbers on the west coast wasn't due to him, but no. uh, there's no way that would have had that effect, but due to the Norwegian fleet coming yeah. in, which, uh, exactly. as I'm sure you've seen, you know, th there were quite a number of boats which would moor up in, in fact, in Shetland. Yeah, yeah, the numbers are scary when you see them. Yeah, yeah, and they were taking quite a lot. Um, yeah, so I, I think Howard was keen to use them sustainably. Yeah. Um, 
Was that quite a quick transition for him when the hunting well, ended to go into helping? He was. Research? He felt he was hounded out, and mm. he felt that was unfair because he was willing to give it up, but he invested a lot in the mm. harpoon and, and yeah. all of that, and he just wanted some compensation, and that wasn't forthcoming, and so he was he was he was quite upset about that. Yeah, it's understandable of your industry. And, and also portrayed as this, this yeah. monster yeah. person, you know. I, I think he'd also seen by that stage in his, I mean, he started, well, you must talk to him, but very briefly, yeah. you know, he he started his life in the herring fishery yeah, in the exactly. when there that. were a hundred, hundreds mm-hmm. of boats, yeah. and he saw that collapse, yeah. and then the same happened to the cod fishery in the Clyde, mm-hmm. and so I think yeah. by later on in his career, he was well aware of the need to. That's uh, right limit catches so he ended up in doing the skipper in on some of your shark surveys or yeah, yeah looking for sharks yeah. around the Clyde yeah, when you so, took that one yeah. um when i first started i did surveys all year round um and could never understand how how they how they actually their fingers functioned in the cold and wet <laughs> of the winter <laughs> yeah, be yeah. out there trying yeah, the to get the, the yeah. plankton nets over the side and do the monitoring and i just I just couldn't. They're a hardy bunch. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> yeah, so no, we went out all year round. Uh, a frustrating time though, because we we've we spent a few autumns in the Clyde as well, and uh, I think we went through the same process as you guys, and f- plenty of cold, fruitless days looking for <laughs> sharks. But we did find them in the end. It was interesting. Uh, uh, the Clyde stuff seems to be very different and I'm not sure if that tower that kind of ties in more with some of this genetics research that's coming out now and you know for perhaps subpopulations that are moving about different yeah. to other ones kind of thing. Um, well that's what we had thought was happening um, before the genetic stuff came I, out I, in fact. Personally I, I interesting think to see that, that might if be they're overexploited in one area they will maybe move mm-hmm. and not use that area much. Mm-hmm. Uh, undoubtedly at one stage when you talk to people around the first of Clyde, I mean, there are lots of people who remember seeing a dozen or more basking sharks off the shore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Particularly along the coast of Arran yeah, uh, and yeah. up, um, up up in the northeast bit there, Look the backside of Butte. Um, you know, and they they still see a few, but they don't see them no, the way they did. Not, no. Even when we started getting these big aggregations mm-hmm. um, up around Colin Tyree. So, you know, and the same's happened in Ireland, of course, with the the fishery there that was yes. in the Ackle 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 Islands, Island. yeah, yeah, you know, where they don't seem to have started going back there much. They, they have started a bit now. They are starting to see them again there, but not not in, not the, in the great, numbers, great numbers that, that they were. So how did the um, Isle of Man then? Because you you had a sort of, I guess, famous in the basking shark world for the. For the shark that was tagged oh, right, there, because yes. that was the, was that the first yeah. one that went across the Atlantic it, that was tagged, or it, it was actually before and the deepest, I think. The, at at that point, yes. Um, uh, at that point, I think people. I mean, if you looked at the map of of where basking sharks are around the world, uh, you kind of wondered how they managed to get where they were yeah. <laughs> if they were coastal, which is what most people thought that they just went around the coast of everything. So I can't and remember not if even it was Fiona, individuals, but rather than just interbreeding populations. Yeah, I can't remember if it was Fiona Gell yeah, who was at DAF yes. at the time. Uh, so got Fiona us together with, Gell, with, um, who was the with the Grahams, uh, with sorry, Halls. Uh, the Halls, yeah, yeah. Graham and, and Jackie Hall, um, and 
So I went down and was asked to go down and we decided that we'd try to, to put some tags on and they could get some money from, uh, largely from insurance companies <coughs> All right. for, for tags. And so uh, we, we managed to put two on, I remember. One went up to, to Glasgow and hung around. <laughs> Well, Although it went all over yeah. the place yeah, and yeah. ended up just just in, in you know near to Glasgow, <laughs> as it were, um, and the other one headed off and just kept going across the Atlantic. And you know, when whenever I talk about this and you know try to convince people that it was happening, especially at the time, because the first question would be, yeah, well maybe the tag was just floating <laughs> across the Atlantic. But if you look at the data, you can see that most of the time the tag was underneath the water and yeah. very little time. At near anywhere near the surface, so we and know it was spent definitely on the Some time feeding uh, near the the Mid Atlantic Ridge, where mm. you know we think there's probably at Walling and Plankton in France there yeah. before moving on on west. And and what what was so intriguing is that you had two sharks tagged, very similar sharks tagged yeah. in the same place, doing completely different things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you'd already had the experience um, with. We both also worked on, on whale sharks in different places, and you tagged That's right. the first three sharks from Seychelles, which had done the same thing, and one went from Seychelles to Malaysia, another up north, and another southwest Down to, to South Africa. Yeah, and bizarre, you know. Yeah, so it becomes clear that there's a lot of variation in behaviour yeah. among animals like that, and I think. The same patterns emerged with, with terrestrial animals as well. You know, we used to imagine that a bit based on a kind of, if you like, the swallow model that yeah, yeah. You know, all individuals all went along exactly the same route down to the same place uh, at one time a year and came back again along the same route. And while that may be true to some extent of the proportion of birds and animals, I think it's also quite clear there's a lot of variation, uh, which makes sense. And, and, and depending on if it works for them and they found good feeding places, they'll then repeat yeah. it, having done it but the more you work with sharks too, you know, like the, the reef sharks that we work with and all, the more you realize that everybody's an individual. <laughs> you know? They all have different personalities. They all behave quite differently. It's yeah. so fascinating. That must have been really exciting for you, though, to see that crossing. The yes. Time. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have yeah. live updates or was it afterwards? That no, it's an oh, archival. Yeah. We, we started with archival tags because we weren't sure what these sharks were going to do. Mm -hmm. You know, and if they were at the surface, you know, it wasn't, and, and, and they were never, if we needed yeah, tight you, spot tags. It was tags, the only way instance. you could do it then. The, yes. There weren't ones that would. Well, there were, but, but they wouldn't, we weren't sure, especially for the, the amount they cost, mm. that we were going to get any data off them. So the yeah, archival tags were the best. So you only learn at the end best. of the day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and even then, not immediately, because all you get is a lot of data, which needs to be interpreted. Uh, and when they're moving small distances, using geolocation uh, you're not really so sure if that's an accurate reflection but when they're moving big distances yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's no doubt so this is as maybe you know is based on if you go west then uh, the time the, the middle of the day is much later yeah. uh, and, and so it's all based on having depth sensors and light sensors in the tank mm -hmm. but then based on which you can work out where, where, where they've gone and uh, what was exciting at that point was that just in those few years then, this would be 2003, 2000, that kind of period, you know, at, at pretty much the same time, there were the first records of great white sharks and tiger sharks crossing oceans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, yeah. 
And the most dramatic one was uh, was the tiger shark went from South Africa to uh, Western Australia and and back again, I think. Uh, Nicole, you know, that's right. I can't remember what her name was. Yes. Yeah, Nicole. Yeah. They named after Nicole Kidman. <laughs> oh. oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't know the Kidman bit. Yeah, yeah. So she went back to South Africa yeah. and yeah. the same yeah. thing. Yeah. had a film to do. Yeah. And they there was it was a shark they were familiar yeah. with by sight. Yeah. 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 That's a pretty no, cool story. I mean, that's another thing is how one gets to recognize individual sharks by sight. You know, I, exactly. it baffles me. I can't tell one make of car from another. <laughs> but, you know, there are plenty of basking sharks I can recognize yeah, yeah. instantly <laughs> old half a mile away in the yeah. boat. Yeah. You know, just by the, uh, the, the slant of their fin and you know, the little well, bits the, and pieces The photo missing. ID for them that we, we started doing yeah. was actually quite easy then, you know, because mm-hmm. there were about When did you start that then? Oh. That was a bit later. Yes. A few years, yeah. so, like, so 2010. 2010, somewhere yeah. around there, yeah. We were looking for another way of trying to track them and to identify them to know, are we looking at the same shark without having to wait for the tag? And they were doing photo ID of dolphins at the time and, and elephants' ears and all of that. Yeah. <clears throat> and we tried, actually, some automated um Yeah, and it's been systems. done on whale sharks. Uh, and I, I had, yes, well, that, that's a spot system using the Hubble telescope yeah, algorithm. But um, for, for, the, for, the bat, for the photo ID, um, with the, this automated system, as I say, we, we tried it on several students and ourselves, mm. um, looking to see who could do a better job. And even with the, 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 the most you know, horrible fins imaginable, you know, every kind of mark you can think of, <laughs> The, the software just couldn't do it. So we decided to do everything just by eye, which yeah. was really good. You can actually quite remember quite a bit, mm-hmm. but we used cartoons that we could match up. And there are about 39 different features um, that you can say on a fin. That oh, um, And then you create like a catalog that yeah, you could you look through, notch you, and absolutely. scratch. And yeah, you can just do a search. You can do an easy spreadsheet and just yeah. do a search that way, you know, in a sort. And it comes up, and then you just match. You t- get two pictures together, and yep. see what. Yep, they match. You know, <laughs> so you take several pictures from both sides, so it wasn't just one photo that you'd be, mm-hmm. be yeah. relying on. But it was amazing how well it worked. Yeah, and, yeah. and what you find is, I think it, I think it was between eighty and ninety percent, wasn't it, that we could recognize again reliably. Um, the, 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 on the whole, the younger ones that didn't have distinguishing features, mm-hmm. uh, you couldn't yeah. rely on it. But uh, one of the things that um, you know, we found people were very skeptical uh, when we tried to publish that paper, for example. Yes, and yeah. yet, when you show people a catalogue and the picture of the shark, and you say, "Look, this is the one we photographed two years ago," yep. and you can see it's absolutely exact. It's not yep. like it's one that looks a bit like it, yeah. um, and that's quite dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Well, talking about that, though, the other thing is that. The whole idea was that we could also get a handle on the population numbers. That's mm-hmm. right. Because if you just see 200 sharks for a couple of weeks, once a year somewhere, you've no idea if there's only 200 sharks yeah. or if that's just the thin end of the wedges, if you like. So, um, you know, by seeing how many of the new ones that arrived were ones we'd seen before, you can do estimates yeah, yeah. Uh, to suggest how many there are. But that was also difficult to publish because people would couldn't believe um, that the sharks were actually um, 
the, the population was better off than, than we thought. I mean, mm. it had been improving yeah. from, from a really bad start. Because the only other paper at that point was the Holzl paper, which was based just on the female side of and that was unfortunately not as many samples as they would have liked you know from around the world yeah and that made it i think it was something like they said it was about eight thousand females or something like that in the whole adult, world. adult females in the whole world so when we came up with our figure um people were very skeptical yeah yeah because we thought there were about ten thousand well over that number just yeah just coming up to Scotland mm-hmm. um, but yeah because you just kept seeing new individuals yeah, all the time right, they had yeah. to be coming from somewhere and if you did the calculations even if there were only very small numbers left by the 1990s um, assuming you know a reasonable survivorship of, of the pups you could build up to that kind of number yeah. Um, surprising how you know how you get this exponential increase and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and it shoots up. Um, uh, yeah, so that was qu- quite surprising. Mm. Um, although I think the the caution I'd say is what you, what we don't know, and I think we still don't know, is what area that relates to. Yeah, you know. So if we said, well, we think there were between ten and twenty thousand. I mean, there there's big variation on the estimates, but you know. That's the centre of the ballpark estimates. Yeah. Um, is that just in Scotland mm. in the summer, or is that across the whole North Atlantic? Yeah. And mm. so it meant that's the kind of difference. I think we're. It's yeah, great because that that yeah, it's amazing because we talked to to Les uh, Noble uh, who'd been doing the genetic stuff. Who I guess is maybe doing the the high tech stuff these days, and they're looking into that. And it's great that some of the things that you guys were doing. Uh, has been kind of proven by technology and you know like yeah, this yes. it's not that long ago you know 2016 yeah, yeah, and or, yeah. or like you know the end yeah. of the 2010s uh, and it's amazing how much has been learned in 10 years uh, yes. yeah. since we've been all these yeah. new toys came yeah became yes. available yeah. for uh, people like us to play with and, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean the genetics too is amazing uh, some of the work we've been doing uh, that we were doing out in Seychelles it was we, we found numbers of sharks had injuries on them and we didn't, or, or maybe it was a disease. So we started looking at the microbiome on the skin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the literature, there are just a few records of a few bacteria, but we're, we're finding about a thousand species of bacteria oh, wow. and a thousand species of fungi on the bodies of these sharks. And it, it's quite an interesting story because it, these are not just random bacteria from the marine environment, as I guess they might be, but yeah, there are match. standard associations yeah. okay. that go with each species, yeah, right. and they and match locations. the phylo- phylogenetic yeah. tree. So what's been happening is over millions of years, a whole lot of these bacteria have been living in symbiosis with yeah. with the sharks. And um, what <laughs> one thing that's particularly interesting and relevant there is that on the skin. And we were also looking in the in the mouth and yeah. in, 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 in the back end <laughs> to look at the digestive system. But on the skin, there, there's quite a number of species which are suspected to, to produce antibiotics. Yeah, well, that's what I was so, thinking as you were talking about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so the suspicion is, actually, this is the kind of thing that means sharks seem to heal extraordinarily yeah, well yeah, when they've okay. been injured. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so those really, some of the... Some of the sharks were really badly injured, you know, mm. either from mating or yep. from 
from fighting or whatever. Or disease. And, oh. and yet, there wasn't a difference between them and the healthy ones. Only the location. And they you know, for that one species, yeah. only the location dif- were there differences. Not, not the healthy and the unhealthy skin. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, these bacteria will produce the uh, antibiotic not to help the shark, yeah. but they do it to help themselves to keep other yeah. uh, types of bacteria away and saying, this is my patch of skin. <laughs> okay, But in fact, that has the effect of keeping yeah. off a lot of pathogens. Yeah. So uh, we've been wondering whether to have a go at doing this with basking sharks. Well, that's so right, yeah. Know. Well, that's I just mean, what Les mentioned the other day because we were talking about the slime and that was what was originally used mm-hmm. um, for the samples. And you've seen, you know, in, in the slime, you're obviously getting the... The DNA part that they were studying in terms of the genetics program, but there was obviously the bacteria and associated things that were were on the skin. But I don't think they particularly looked at them. I think they discounted them because they were looking at the the DNA aspects of yeah, the yeah, sharks yeah, rather yeah. than the oh, other stuff. But yeah. you wonder how valuable that is, you know, yeah. given what you guys yeah. have been looking at. So, yeah. so the samples be the same, but it's different analysis. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, amazing. But again, I mean that you know we can now detect these things in tiny amounts that you couldn't have. Yeah. Done. 20 years ago, you wouldn't have thought it would be possible. I'd have thought people would be living on the moon before we could do this sort of <laughs> Yeah, stuff. well, we, when we first started doing it uh, with them, we were using a, a big pole and, and a little cloth, and we would you know, brush the yeah, dorsal fin yeah. of the shark to get some of the sample on the cloth. Uh, but now their, their techniques have been so refined and so um, accurate uh, or sensitive um, that the last ones we've been doing is you know, when we've been snorkeling with the shark, just in general proximity from where we are, of just holding the cloth anywhere near them, and yeah, it's yeah. so sensitive that it would pick up yeah, some yeah, of the yeah. traces that went past, uh, yeah. which is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Gosh, imagine no, all the stuff we've been doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> water. Imagine what you're swimming in. Exactly. <laughs> we've been doing covered in everything. So sure, just, take, just taking water samples to look at yeah. for trace yeah. DNA. Yeah. Um, so. Same when we're washing the wetsuits, we're probably washing away all this valuable scientific yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're Collected them. all in a tray. Yeah, <laughs> the shark slime on the basking sharks is also quite unique as well. So you wonder, they're particularly slimy compared to. <laughs> well, they are and they aren't actually, yeah. and that's one of the the interesting things I thought um, mm. with with the with the slime was before we started to to look at it for for um, yeah. For genetics or for any other reason um there'd always been this tale of if a basking shark was caught in a net mm. that um a trawler net. yes that you couldn't use that net again because yeah. mm-hmm. um it would continue to attract basking sharks which would muck up your 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 whole netting and it yeah. wasn't just the trawlers it was other nets as well um and it was thick and slimy and i remember howard always saying oh this stuff is horrible you know and all and interestingly enough, it seems to be a, um, a, a sex thing too, because a lot mm. of men find basking shark slime in particular and the, and the smell of the animal really disgusting. I mean, like Eve type, oh, even really? Howard. Yeah, when right. we, we, I remember bringing one down from South Uist to, um, to dissect. So I trailered it from <laughs> South Uist <laughs> down to Moport. <laughs> it took a, a day or two and got Howard out with, with two female um, assistants with me, you know, two students, and we were going to, you know, cut the shark up so that we could do it. And a you probably thought the students it. were going to be the ones that yeah, had exactly. the greasy stomach, and yeah. And we were all in it, you know, and he was going, and it's like, oh, God, and another guy came over, and he said, oh, God, I can't stand that smell. <laughs> I thought, what? 
what is it? It's I mm. have got a fairly sensitive nose, but yeah. to, you know, it smelled fishy, but it didn't smell like you know it was going to make me sick or anything. And, yeah. and the, the two women with me didn't either. And I've heard that before that the men find the smell really disgusting. That's really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Either of you smell a Baskin shark? <laughs> 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 He's not really been around with his very, very dead ones, one, but. but <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, the live ones don't really have much no. smell. But, no. uh, it just depends how long it's been oh, washed up. I, I mean, I think it's quite possible that they can detect where mm-hmm. the basking sharks have been, you know, and they've got those very sensitive yes. big noses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, most um, of their brain is, is and, in their nose. And it may really, just you know. primarily be males following females, but it may just be following others, uh, you know, foraging yeah. for food. Yeah. Although, of course, the stuff had, as I'm always pointing out to people, if you have a chemical cue, it's got to be brought to them down current, so yeah. you can't, it's not an omnidirectional yeah, detection yeah. system. It just tells you rather like a, um, classic case of the some of the moths who when they detect a female they'll just simply fly up yeah, up yeah, yeah. until they detect until mm. they find the female that'd be the same thing so that the proximity stuff probably follows on to um some of the things we did in uh, the mid-2000s with the close following yes. paper um because uh, that and it obviously ties into the uh, the things at that time uh, that you know just in this as i said before in the 10 years the knowledge of bass and sharks their behaviour, what they're actually doing is mm. just in exponentially increased. And when we first started, the the available information out there that was, say, from the government on, you know, codes of practice and what they were doing uh, is not what we were kind of seeing on the water. And it was clearly written by, you know, perhaps some passive observers on, on boats that had wrongly maybe uh, assumed a few things uh, and then you know I started sending you sightings and videos and saying mm, well we're seeing this all the time and that's not quite yeah. like what that is yeah. uh, and then I think around that time is when drone technology came in and mm. we started to get you know maybe before there was a few plane sightings and pictures but then we were able to video live around you know, feeding in tidal fronts and it made this. it so much clearer you know all this kind of theoreticalism what you thought was going on that's right that made it so much clearer when they when the sharks were at the surface to see what was what yes, they were I'm, doing i'm yeah. surprised how many people noticed that little paper and uh, yeah luke will be glad that his <laughs> that's right yeah, yeah. That sequence yeah Luke's we included was, was his was wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah yeah just on well, just recently i met someone who was writing uh, they, they were doing something with drones but the conversation did lead on okay, to yeah. accounts from both of us of people. Of, the trouble is, you know, it, that return to home system yes. on the drone <laughs> doesn't work so well if you're on a moving boat. No, that's it, yeah. And w- between us, we knew about five people who'd drown their drones. But uh, That's right. Yeah. Well, we were originally saying when we first um, had them on board, uh, you didn't actually have a live feed. All you had was a GoPro attached to the, to the aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. And you had to guess where you were pointing the camera to try and film it and it was only until we brought it back as you found if you oh, could actually yes. have seen it or not uh, and then just not long after that you started getting live video feed and then yeah. we could follow them and, and then we got some really yeah. interesting behaviors because originally you know there was the uh, the evidence or or the suggestion that they were always on the surface together and courtship was just them all following each other but we were finding a lot of kind of just feeding aggregations and potential uh, following each other in areas I, I think of it was more um, efficiency, a bit like birds, um, you know, the, the geese in, in formation. I think that 
that's the main thing. Mm. That um, I know from way back when um, making was, was, was talked about when we were working in the Isle of Man, for instance, and I was always saying, that's putative, that's putative, you can't be sure, you know. And I still think what we saw, what our footage and our, of, of what our observations were, was not mating. They do mate, <laughs> obviously, but I think that what we've been seeing is feeding aggregations mm. and feeding efficiency um, and uh, suicide of, of zooplankton jumping <laughs> away yeah, from the first shark and getting hit by the second sharks on, on the side. Um, uh, I think it, especially when you're a big, big animal like that um, and the, the food source is so unpredictable and so unreliable, you want to be as efficient as possible to, to get through that swarm and eat as much as you can. And I'm, I, I still think that that's... Yeah, that's well, so well, it comes right up to the fast. recent stuff, and I'm not sure if you've seen the recent paper uh, from David Sims uh, and everyone um, on this Taurus um, yes. circular thing. Yes. So yes. we only had a small part of that because we've only seen it a few times, but these huge ones off Ireland are, are pretty amazing yeah. as well. But we've seen that as well. And, uh, uh, you know, just keep harping back to this kind of evolution of, of knowledge over 10 years kind of thing you know what we saw kind of five years ago then you know these Taurus things yeah. are coming in and you go well originally we saw I remember that one clearly because they, it was a kind of close following thing but they were clearly feeding uh, along but it didn't take long for them to get into this kind of circle yes. and then yes. it was quite a different set up then and those two things that paper uh, the original one and this up-to-date one uh, the Taurus is very interesting because it almost is starting to tie these things yes. together yeah. uh, and it's just brilliant to you know over the over the years to have you know you, you've got all these little pitches to the puzzle and you just try to join them together yeah. and you know it's just through time that you're starting to get more of a clearer picture yes. of these things yeah. Uh, because they're so subtle, I think when you're when you're in the water and you and you can observe them, you know the yeah, the movement I, from feeding to non-feeding to potential courtship to maybe these other uh, uh, you know tortoises and things like that. There's yeah. there's very subtle times for them moving into each one, and it's very hard um, to to kind of say or pigeonhole that you know that's definitely that behaviour. And now they've moved yeah. on, and that's what they're doing now. I think there's it's much more subtle than I think. Uh, what was originally just written down in black and white, which is quite hard from a government point of view if you're trying to make a code of practice and tell people, okay, you've seen a shark, you need to do X, Y, and Z if it's you know mm. doing this thing or, 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 or that thing. That's, that's very difficult to try to explain to... I mean, if you're, if you're just talking about tour operators and all, then yes, they can understand and, and um, behave appropriately if you explain different situations. Mm -hmm. But the odd boat going out is not going to understand no, the it. difference between uh, there's one shark, there's a Taurus, there's a yeah, feeding exactly. or whatever yeah, yeah. they're doing. That's going to be really difficult, I think. Mm. So after... Well, um, sorry. Oh, I was going to ask you, I, you may be more up to date, but has anyone actually seen the mate in any of these aggregations? Are we not, not 100% sure, are we? Well, that's uh, it. I mean, none it, none it of them seems, have ever written it. That's it's, the, it's very likely the because problem. there are so many species which take the opportunity of feeding aggregations to, yeah, exactly. to also have courtship and mating on the side. Mm, but yeah. it might be, you know, it might well be they they mate in deeper water because you'd expect to have seen it more. The well, what they've seen in the spiral is that they're kind of going down and at some point yeah. the spiral kind of descends and then you're assuming that after that, yeah. you know, it happens. But, that, but I think that could easily be a feeding uh, mechanism but uh, equally at the same time maybe yeah, yeah. You know, they, as far as I know Howard gives a very good yes, description he's, he's the of only mating person I heard on one occasion when he said there were two sharks 
yeah. appeared to be joined, thrashing about on the surface. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, but if that's where they normally and do, that you'd sounds, expect to have seen it more. very much like yeah. there's a very detailed, you, you probably know, detailed paper on nurse shark mating. And it sounds very much the same sort of thing. And they, in a way, they've got the similar sort of body yeah. um, and, and the mm -hmm. way it can flex. And what Howard describes sounds very much like what nurse sharks do. But that's the only account yeah. that I've heard that that sounds plausible. You know, we had one instance where there was a lot of thrashing, and there was and there was two of them, but it was like maybe a mile away. The time we kind of got to it, it was right. kind of choppy, and then it disappeared, and we were yeah. like, "Damn it, it's the closest we've ever been." Yeah. <laughs> the wee thing. Yeah, yeah, and it was around. I think it was, uh, was it around that same time. I think because obviously, in particular summers, sometimes you get like this small period where there's a lot around you know yeah. there's the times when yeah. you're getting hundreds yeah. in a day and and it's yeah. all you're getting all this you know different yeah. behavior so that you know and then you're just assuming fact, that that's what's happening yeah. but Think, thinking back to the 1990s there were surprisingly few accounts of sharks mating of any species you know there was only maybe a handful of species in which it'd been seen and anybody had seen so them, you yes. know as yeah. we joked there well maybe sharks don't actually mate and then it was discovered <laughs> well, but one of my research students was the first person to describe parthenogenesis in sharks right. and i think there was another species uh, uh reported to do this um just this last week or two so i think about half a dozen species now Females kept in isolation after several years have, have produced young. Yeah, so right. like there was another yeah. mm -hmm. it's, it's quite a common trait through the animal kingdom, particularly in some groups like lizards. Mm -hmm. So sh thinking about the position of sharks, you know, it's, it's less surprising than maybe in mammals mm -hmm. than it would be in a mammal. Um, uh, if the, I mean, there's no immediate disadvantage to reproducing like that. The disadvantage comes through natural selection later because it, if you if that's the way you reproduce, you can't mix and match genes to, yeah, to produce right. yeah, yeah. different different adaptations. But, I thought um, I'd actually seen one one time. We thought we'd actually might have seen a bird. <laughs> oh wow! So we're scooting out there. There's this shark was was like having convulsions at the surface like really massive hiccups or something and it was really going about so we steamed over there and then all this this reddish fluid came first and, <laughs> and then we realized what it was <laughs> it must have had had a, a constipation yeah okay yeah we've seen that a few at times now. Yeah. i've got a drone shot of that as well oh, really? interestingly yeah. it's funny why you get Shots, interested over the know. years yeah, yeah. <laughs> So then yeah. after that, you've had a few students have a look at a few things around kind of Colin Tyree. Um, there's a bit of sighting, I think, some of our, your own sighting data on ours and Hebridean Whale and Dolphin Trust public stuff. Um, I'm not sure we've really seen uh, much of that in the end. I can't remember if the, I read uh, what came out of that. Um, yeah, still I, I, work in progress. Yeah, quite a few going things, on. And yeah. I think after that, then that came to COVID, I think, and everything kind of got yeah. put on the back burner for a little while. Yeah. I know you got um, plans for more basking shark projects in the area, or I'm not. There's there's one thing yeah, that's that you want ongoing to, you that want we to need see that in public. Where funding is has been a problem. Yes, it's um, always an uh, issue, isn't it? Yeah, to do with the the slime, but um, where we've been asked to write a review, um, which we've been working on. <laughs> 
top secret. Well, yeah, maybe we should. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 maybe not talk about it in public. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably enough. Uh, Go, going back to the um, to the mating versus feeding recreations, though, uh, there's an interesting parallel which Mogus and I have seen in um, reef mantis. Uh, and uh, down in the uh, southern part of the Maldives, there's a site called Hanifaru. Mm. It sounds like the kind of place you'd be visiting, yeah, yeah. but you get aggregations of up to oh, 100 yeah. to 200 mantas in, in this gully in the reef where you get yeah, right. concentrations of plankton. And there are two dramatic things that are noticeable. One is the way that the mantis will form formations. Mm -hmm. So you will get these V-shaped formations yeah. sort of swimming along, maybe 11 or, or even more, uh, uh, all clearly feeding um, uh, uh, and benefiting each other in some way. Um, but occasionally you do see them mating as well. So clearly in that instance, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, uh, it's a site where there's benefits from well, that's it. You think is it is it just an incidental part, and they just take advantage because they're all in the area anyway, and the, the switch from one thing yeah, to the other yeah, is just yeah. well, well, you don't know the cues to it, or I mean, it, otherwise it's hard to find. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shark, I would think. Well, yeah. if you think about yeah. you know that you know they're generally thought of as the northeast Atlantic, and you know yeah. as your tagging one showed, I think it was nearly ten thousand kilometers the tag stayed on for, yeah. and the ones that have been tagged from here that have gone all the way down to the Azores, it's a huge range, you know, and how do you find a mate well, that's, given that's, this distance? Yeah, I mean we, we had one go down to the Azores, and it's like, why you know <laughs> why didn't you just continue with the other guy? you know yeah, um, it's very strange. The other is just trying to work out where they're all going. So what's always interested me too is, is uh, Greg Scomel mm -hmm. had been tagging just before we started in fact, and had data, but he had other things. He's a government guy, and so he had other things that, I, don't go near him. <laughs> <laughs> he had other things that he was trying to publish or be busy doing. So I remember meeting him at, you know, we had this, we, we put together this uh, Basking Shark conference to try and pull everybody together to talk oh, about yeah. this. So I invited him over and so I kind of badgered him and said, look, you know, you've got to get this stuff out. So he did, and it was really exciting what he found. Uh, some of his went from Maine all the way down to, mm. you know, Brazil, mm -hmm. and some of them came back up again. Yeah, but none that. came across the Atlantic and none went across to Africa. Same <laughs> with ours, you know? I mean, <laughs> okay, they went down to the Azores, so they could be going down. Uh, that's when our tag came off, unfortunately. I think um, uh, Matt's came off around there too but uh, what's happening <laughs> with Africa um, we were talking to um, the people in South Africa to think about doing some work from there but the basking sharks where where the shelf is for them to be feeding is pretty far off the coast from what yeah. I understand and so it's kind of difficult to just get observations mm. um, so we don't know what's happening off of there but that would be a good place to maybe start looking yeah yeah, you know, yeah. what's happening at that side Africa. Do you think there is a, there's more requirement to do tagging from the likes of Colin Tyree or do you think maybe from more of the kind of random sightings we're getting further away like you know say the ones that are in Shetland or perhaps on the east coast or Norway kind of thing do you think there's more merit in doing the ones that are further out to try and get more patterns or do you think 
worth tagging more and the Hebrides. Well, well sorry, just let me just answer about Norway because we're, we're working on a project in Norway at the moment um, mm. with, with the group over there. Um, we're hoping to, and we've tagged a couple of sharks. Um, and I suspect that if you look at the, the old um, fishing patterns for basking sharks, um, those big aggregations are not there. Mm -hmm. um, and there are not that many sharks over there, but they are starting to come back a bit. But this, this is happening up more near towards Svalbard, you know, oh, that right. sort of area that they're looking to tag and all. So, Rupert, you were going to say something. I just wanted to mention Norway there. Well, I'm just going to comment on the similarity to the whale shark situation as well, where uh, there are these feeding aggregations. Uh, and one of uh, our students, uh, David Robinson, um, who was at Harriet Watts, uh, worked on uh, whale sharks in the Arabian Gulf. And the biggest aggregation he found, how he could see over 200 whale mm. sharks in a day, which is, you know, quite an impressive thing to see. Uh, and I was just recollecting. Well, there's two things. One is, I don't. The evidence seems to be that you don't get individuals in one aggregation appearing with a whole lot of the ones from that aggregation in another one. Mm -hmm. You know, it, they're all behaving individually. Uh, but the other interesting thing was you do see more obvious mating type behavior occasionally in those aggregations. And when we're in Seychelles, for example, I remember one time when this male whale shark uh, <laughs> developed a, an amorous desire for the, for the dive boat we were in, uh, <laughs> which just happened underneath to have a pattern that, oh, shape right. that could possibly be <laughs> similar. And it kept turning upside down and coming up and kind of scraping along the bottom of the boat. Uh, you know, had it done it dorsed out, I thought it might have been um, scratching itself, but it was more to it than that. <laughs> so we kept our distance a little at that point, mm. in case we were likewise mistaken, I guess. Because I think, that, I mean, there's been quite a lot of tagging done in around the Hebrides, and we've got quite a lot of data from there, but I always feel that the outlying areas where we are getting these other sightings, there hasn't been very much done around there, and I always wonder, whether these other ones, which is maybe a little bit, if you're a researcher, a bit harder to try and yeah. do because they are very random and, you know, it's not a case of you can book your two weeks in and go and do your field yeah. work kind of thing. It's more yeah. uh, last minute and like, oh, they're there, right, let's go, let's go, you know, and get it kind of thing. Yeah, the, the other is that um, if there are only a few uh, and you don't want to lose your tags, <laughs> yes. you're getting, getting one that's going to be up at the surface mm. that's calm enough for you to actually put the tag on um, you know, the yeah. the opportunities are the, not as great uh, as when they're they're yeah. Because I think these ones we get like say in the Moray for certain times of year. Um, we've always assumed that you know they come up the west and then go around the top and then down and round. But I don't think there's been any tagging of the ones in there. Whether uh, whether any say around Colin Tyree in that area have been tagged and gone up and round. I don't remember seeing any of them uh, or any that have been tagged on the east coast and then been seen yeah. to go back round. Kind of thing. I, I think I agree with you that they're probably the Maori further ones coming up up um, from the west and going over because every sighting that I've heard of and all the ones that I've seen on the east coast right. have been sick or dead. Yeah, or, further down, you know, like really not, yeah, not southeast know, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's like they don't come up the, 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 the channel. channel yeah. yeah, I think there's two issues we that I would prioritize. 
although it's hard to see how to get a handle on it. Uh, one is the population size still, because um, as I said, the, the, the issue with our data is how big an area are we talking about? And, you know, when we get a, a Goodyear down in the Isle of Man and that's some Goodyears here and then a Badger here and maybe a good year in the Shetlands, are, just, are these the same ones that yeah, have moved exactly. or are yeah. the sharks that we normally see, they've come here anyway, but they're right. just not surface feeding. So that's one issue. The other is it's still a bit of a mystery how big the sharks get. And, you know, we mostly only see them up to about nine meters in mm -hmm. shore waters. And yet there are those consistent accounts in the literature of them being bigger than that. And uh, I think an alternative, a possibility, I'm not putting it forward as something I think happens, but a possibility is the ones we see actually are, are not yet mature, fully mature and going to make much. But, but that when they get bigger, they tend to move to... Uh, shelf fronts out on mm. the edge of the continental shelf feeding in those areas where they may feed mostly uh, subsurface yeah, right. and that mating so you've got mating by bigger sharks yeah, out yeah, there yeah. Uh, on the island that may be just a, a fancy yeah. I don't it's, know but it, it strikes me that that's a possibility yeah. given what we know it, it could be that there's a there's a change possibly in the location or even just the size we're seeing because the biggest ones I've seen were in the Clyde when we first started. Oh, yeah. So I saw nine meter ones there. Mm. I don't think I've seen any since going up the West Coast. Um, and yet, and I assumed that, you know, bigger guys are the ones that could do the migration. It was an eight meter female that went across, but mm. I think it was a seven meter that we had that went down to the Azores. Mm. That's that's a long trip. Yeah, also. yeah. you got to you know? do a lot of feeding on the way or have a big energy store yes. to And know to do it, that. you know, at... at that age yeah. to know yeah. that's that's sensible for me to do or I can smell yeah. others going down there and I'm going to go I feel I can do it yeah, yeah. it's not like just hopping from one island to the other or no. like say Ireland to West Scotland it's right. you're out in the middle yeah. you know if you have to know what you're doing if you're going to feed out there I think because going back to your one the Isle of Man that went to I think over 1200 meters it was 1264 meters I think it was um which is amazing because then you you know we know them as a surface feeding shark because we see them at the surface feeding away but what they're doing at depth whether it's you know mm. a different species of zooplankton whether it's something slightly different whether it's well, just a an easy way to move from a to b well they, the plankton of course they they do this diapause and they they do migrate mm. um at different stages so they could be feeding on a certain stage further down yeah we often wondered if they weren't feeding on um megatiffanies or something like mm. that as well but it's hard to see from Which the bush when like you're <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. up. Yeah. But, but, I, I'm but sure looking at uh, the, the depth data that most of them must do more feeding at depth than they do on the surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not just the depth data, but I also think when you open up the, the basking sharks and you look at their stomachs, it's bright red. And yet mm. when I take plankton samples and you look at the, the, mm. the lipid bodies, they're 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 not always there, you know. Mm, there's or they're right. small, so they've got to be feeding somewhere where there's a lot of, of lipid bodies to yeah, make up exactly. that huge amount. I mean, the stomach is just bright red, mm -hmm. you know, of, of churning stuff. You know, some of the samples we took recently with you guys were much redder. Yes, yeah. but I mean, just imagine the amount to to get that too. We always find that that when you get the real 
big adult stages and that's all on the surface that's when we have really good um mm. shark encounters because they're all there and they're really hammering uh, the mm. food they're just yeah. plowing through it and we, we seem to get a lot bigger ones coming then you know whether it's a knowledge whether it's being able to sense it or or they you know they're able to time coming back to the same place because they know at that times that's when we're getting that um uh, and certainly uh, it's really interesting noting the when we did the plankton trawling you know and what we the abundance and the size we were getting near the mm. sharks feeding and then a bit further away was was really clear that they were mm. going you know when we get that big stuff there that's what they're, they're after right kind in, of thing. yeah it's the same same with us we had uh, through a couple of students <laughs> to, to do plankton <laughs> samples before the sharks yeah and, yeah yeah one thought that amuses me is when they go down to these depths or even shallow when they're clearly following the surface of the uh, seabed, is how do they know where the bottom is? I mean, it's yeah. obviously quite dark, so yeah. they have big noses, so when they bump against the bottom, <laughs> they don't get hurt. Well, I think uh, or from, can they yeah, more they likely can. perhaps sense the bottom? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some sense electrical with sense. their lateral lines, Because yeah. yeah. their eyesight's meant to be very poor, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So I, yeah. I suspect, what's your feeling? I think it's a bit better than... You get the impression from reading. it's hard to know like because then you've probably seen it as well you know say you know you're in in proximity of the sharks with the boat and you know engines yeah. turned off sit and float and sometimes when they're feeding so hard they almost swim into the boat yeah. they're yeah. in this yeah. kind of trance so you don't know whether at that time you know yeah. that part of the brain switched off or or um uh you know they're just so focused on feeding that they don't really realize because it's you know within yeah. a meter or so yeah. that they only yeah, realize that this is you know a boat's not yeah. that small like you know our one yeah, like, big one's 12 meters long yeah. mind you, you know, they, they don't have... bump into the boat hard. no I like, mean, they come alongside yeah, just, but yeah. at the same time occasionally if you make a movement uh uh not so far away they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll jump. know about it yeah 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 it's almost like you know when um you know how when you're driving and you're watching the road, and yet suddenly you think, oh, <laughs> you know, because because you're thinking of something. Yeah, Although yeah, yeah. you think you're seeing, you're not actually seeing. And I wonder if it's like that for them. You know, they're busy concentrating on something, and oh, right. <laughs> really focused on yeah, feeding. Yeah, on their feeding. Yeah. Okay, to, to wind up, I'll give you another thought, which is <laughs> <laughs> just the thought, and, and you can come up on it too, that there is something magical about basketball. <laughs> I can't put my finger on it quite, but... You know, all the animals and fish and sharks uh, I, I've studied and watched. What, what's so strange is you can go on watching them for almost ever. And when you see them again, you want to just <laughs> sit and watch them. It, it, um, uh, I, I think I'm it's not. because they're so elusive and they're so hard to to interpret and to figure out. Yeah, and, you don't you want know. to take your eyes off them. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it's partly disbelief that such a big animal swims right. around the area, and it's partly yeah. that they, they are quite elegant in their own way, aren't they? And, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, maybe yeah, just a feeling of awe. And, um, it's I, interesting, I don't know whether even with elephants I feel with, quite I mean, as impressed. Then mm. They won't come, it's not like they'll come no. to you and, and, and have an interaction. So you have to you have to interact with them from afar, as it were. You know, they're, yeah. they're not going to come to you, sort of thing. <laughs> so uh, moving on to that thing, because usually we kind of like, we ask people, well, if they are involved with bass and sharks, what what was their favourite ever memory or encounter with them? I I think for me, um, one. <laughs> if you can um, pick one. Just one. I've got two actually. All right, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, yeah, you can have as many as you like. But. Both both of them involved students. One was um, Adrian McLeod who 
um, he'd been working with me for some time on the, the zooplankton. Um, and who, who now works at Sam's. Who now yeah. works at Sam's, right. And I wanted to be sure that he saw a basking shark, so we went out to Col and had quite an adventure out there, which <laughs> I won't go into. But it was, it was foul, foul weather, and we just were not, for various reasons, weren't getting out the boat that had been promised. You know, the guy was busy doing something else at the time and all. So I remember driving up to Ho Bay and really, really foul weather. It was just before we were leaving. And off in Ho Bay, the, the, the rollers were coming in mm. and they were like, you know, huge rollers coming in and all. And between two sets of rollers that were coming, there was two basking sharks. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and I, I mean, this was like four, six practically out there. Ooh. He jumped out of the Land Rover and ran all the way down to the beach. And I thought he was going to get in with them. <laughs> That was one. Another oh, one was amazing. a student where we'd just come out of Brakaka and again, this guy had been working. We were working on their photo ID mm-hmm. and uh, so we were slewing from side to side with the camera on the back of the boat trying to trying to hold on. And we'd just come out of by Red Rock mm-hmm. and it's a bit bit dodgy there. You know, yep. with, with, you know, you don't want to get smashed in. And it, it, the weather was really foul. We were just rocking all over the place. And I turned around to find, um, uh, I can't remember his name at the moment. We wrote anyway, the paper. Uh, uh, a colleague. Yeah. <laughs> to find him, sort of eyes popping out as this basking shark breached oh. right out of the water. I was about to land on the boat when we just happened to swing round in time. I thought I was going to lose him. <laughs> You know, and we've been talking about breaching, and there was one right beside the boat. Absolutely. (laughs) That was mine. Very good. No, I. I, You've done one for me. So (laughs) good. Yeah. This um, sounds like a pretty stand out. I'm tempted to ask uh, our cat Smudge here because. He came on all our basket shark right. boat I've trips. got a lot of pictures of Smudge from taken yes. from my boat of him watching sharks. Yes, yes. Yeah. And what was your favourite memory, Smudge? Of <laughs> Smudge must have seen more sharks than most people have. Yes. Oh, that's for sure. I think yeah. he could be the only cat that's ever seen uh, oh, uh, a Cuvier's beak twail. This is true. This uh, is true. Because, and they're very interested uh, in it too. That's a long story. But, um, yeah. There was a few one summer um, ended up floating around the surface dead, which I think was believed to be linked yeah. to military exercises. Uh, a very deep diving whale. Um, I think the world's deepest diving whales, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a very, uh, you know, we would never see them in you know, that's Normally, something no. you would never ever yeah. see. And then, you know, this is like a little honeypot and we'd all going over and just ogling at this um, whale floating around in the surface. And I think you guys went close by to try and get some samples of it. And I just remember Smudge sitting on top of the gunnel of the boat uh, and we've got some brilliant pictures of this <laughs> whale and you guys doing some sampling yes. in it and the cat just with the paws sitting <laughs> over the side of the boat watching. Like yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. So there's not many cats in the world that have seen a Kufi's um, beaked whale, but that's he true. is one of them. <laughs> And on that note, Captain Smudge. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks very much for your for time. It's uh, great to catch up with you because we haven't oh, really seen each other for for a while, and uh, look forward to talking about bass and sharks and working That's with them in the long in into the future. the future. Yeah, it's always great yeah. to talk about bass and sharks and with you guys too. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. All right, thanks guys, and um, we'll be back in your ears next month. Uh, remember to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.